Several Issues Etc. regular guests are candidates for leadership positions in the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Every LCMS congregation has received nomination forms for the President and Vice Presidents of Synod. Please encourage your pastor and congregational leaders to fill out and return these nomination forms before February 28th of 2023. Learn more at issuesetc.org slash 2023 nominations. Issuesetc.org slash 2023 nominations. The Lutheran Public Radio Choir withstands a one of the hymns, Salvation Unto Us Has Come. It says, Salvation is by God's free grace and favor. Good works, they help and save us never. So why, when Jesus wants to teach about the sheer grace of God to all sinners, does he tell a story about people working, sometimes working all day long in a vineyard? Welcome back to Issues Etc., coming to you live from the studios of Lutheran Public Radio in Collinsville, Illinois, I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for tuning us in. We're looking forward to Sunday morning, according to the one-year lectionary. We're in Septuagesima. We'll find out what that means. It's a long word, but it actually is a calendar word, too. Pastor Peter Bender joins us. He's pastor of Peace Lutheran Church in Sussex, Wisconsin, and director of the Concordia Catechetical Academy. Peter, welcome back. Good to be with you, Todd. The name of this coming Sunday in the one-year lectionary is Septuagesima. What is that fancy word all about? Yeah, isn't that a great? These are the favorite Sundays in the year, Septuagesima, Sexagesima, and Quinquagesima. When the people hear that, they always scratch their head. It really means 70, or the period of 70 days from the time of that Sunday until the octave of the resurrection, which is the second Sunday of Easter. So it's that 70-day period through the octave of Easter, which is the second Sunday of Easter. So so many of our titles for Sundays and so forth come from the Latin of the introit, or in this case, that distance to the time of Eastertide in that octave. And the 70, you could say, why 70? It calls to mind the 70 years of the Babylonian exile. And going on to the next Sunday is Sexagesima. It's approximately 60 days prior to the middle of the first week of Easter. And then Quinquagesima is approximately 50 days prior to the Feast of the Resurrection itself. So that's how you get it. One week and the next week and the next week, Septuagesima, Sexagesima, Quinquagesima. How does that all work out mathematically? So there's a lot of approximations there. But these three Sundays, you know, at one time uh, in the Middle Ages, Lent included all of these Sundays. And this is for us considered a time of pre-Lent and in preparation for the season of Lent itself. So we moved from, in the historic series, from 
the celebration of the epiphanies of our Lord, you know, with the, the Magi and the baptism of our Lord and the wedding in Cana of Galilee and on to the transfiguration of our Lord, those revelations of who Jesus is. And the epiphany season is always marked by a great period of celebration for who Jesus is and what he has done. There's a great evangelistic and missionary fervor to the epiphany season. And then we move into these three Sundays of the Jesimas. And I would say these particular Sundays, particularly for us as Lutherans, become then Sundays of catechesis and proper instruction to prepare us for the Lenten disciplines. So, I think that is an important emphasis for the Jesimas, a preparation for the right celebration of Lent. You know, there's so many things that we do in Lent. There's prayer and fasting and almsgiving. How do we approach those? Do we approach those as activities and works that make us worthy, greater Christians, worthy of God's blessing and grace, or are they disciplines of the body that help focus our mind and heart and our attention upon Jesus? Take us into some of the traditions of this kind of mini-season pre-Lent. Yeah, it's neither Epiphany nor is it Lent. The color is traditionally green. The Gloria is often not used except for festivals during the season. The word Alleluia is generally omitted from hymns or from portions of the liturgy like the Alleluia verse itself. In place of that, there's something called the tract. Yet the Epiphany proper preface is retained for the Jesma Sundays. And in place of the Te Deum Laudamus, which is a morning canticle for matins or morning prayer, the Benedictus, the Song of Zechariah, is used in its place. Now, these traditions are kind of up to the traditions of a local congregation. And they vary greatly, I think, nowadays in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. But those were some of the characteristics of differences between Epiphany observance and then strict Lenten observances. But you still have things like flowers being used and organ music, preludes and postludes and, and voluntaries and so forth. But during this period, you know, we've moved away from the wonderful celebration into the time of instruction, catechesis in preparation for the right celebration of Lent. You say that Septuagesima, if you're feeling worthless, is the Sunday for you. What do you mean by that? The gospel for this first Sunday of the Jesma, Septuagesima, is the parable of the workers in the vineyard. This is a parable about God's grace. And so if you look at the Jesma season as a Lutheran, you can see how the gospels for each of these Jesma Sundays highlight some things that we like to emphasize as Lutherans, namely sola gratia, grace alone, sola scriptura, scriptural alone, and sola fide, or sola Christus, faith alone, Christ alone. So Septuagesima's gospel is the workers in the vineyard, which highlights the grace of God. Salvation is a gift of God's grace, not because of our merits or our works. So this is what I mean by if you feel worthless, this Sunday is for you, regardless of when you come to faith. If you feel unworthy, this Sunday is for you. If you feel undeserving, this Sunday is for you. On the other hand, 
if you're haughty and proud and self-righteous, which you may not realize, when you encounter this Sunday, it is also for you because the old Adam in each one of us needs to be called to repentance and faith in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and away from self-reliance, which is certainly the emphasis of the gospel for the day. And as we move through the Jesima season, this catechesis, grace alone for the Septuagesima, word alone for the parable of the sower and the seed, and then faith alone in Christ alone for the healing of the blind beggar on that Sunday right before Lent begins. But I think Septuagesima simply holds up the grace of God. And, and that's why you have salvation unto us has come by God's free grace and favor. Good works cannot avert our doom. They help and save us never. Faith looks to Jesus Christ alone, who did for all the world atone. He is our one redeemer. That's the hymn of the day for Septuagesima Sunday, and it, better than any other hymn perhaps in the entire hymnal, captures the theme of salvation by grace alone. Sola gratia. The collect for the day, how does it read and what would you say about it? I always like to begin with these collects because they so well focus our attention on the theme of the day. And Septuagesimus Collect reads this way, O Lord, graciously hear the prayers of your people, that we who justly suffer the consequence of our sin may be mercifully delivered by your goodness to the glory of your name. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. So this collect, Todd, clearly delineates that divine justice declares that not a one of us have a leg to stand on before God's judgment. Every last one of us, no matter who we are, no matter when we became a Christian, no matter the kind of life we lived or the virtue that is on display in our lives, every last one of us is in need of God's grace or we cannot be saved at all. And so the petition is mercifully delivered by your goodness. You know, it refers to the grace of God in Christ, spoken of as, I am not good or generous, but God is good and he is generous. And that's a theme from the Holy Gospel reading for the parable of the workers in the vineyard. So mercifully delivered by your goodness, that's what is spoken of there. The grace of God is what the goodness and the generosity of God spoken of in the collect is talking about. And it's anticipating the gospel for the day, the generosity of the landowner, the master in the parable of the workers, in the vineyard. He is good because he is generous and he gives on the basis of his goodness, not on the basis of our works. The intro it, Psalm 18, selected verses. How does it read? The cords of Sheol entangled me. The snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord. From his temple, he heard my voice. I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. For you save a humble people, but the haughty eyes you bring down. You have equipped me with strength and made my way blameless. For this I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations and sing to your name. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit. So you see how, going back to how we began our discussion, that this Sunday, 
is for those who feel worthless or undeserving. But if you're haughty or proud, this Sunday is for you to call you to repentance for that. So here in the intro for the day, it is a prayer of the unworthy. The unworthy sinner who is broken and contrite, who yearns to be set free from the calamities that sin has brought upon us in every form of human weakness and need. The cords of Sheol, you know, the place of the dead of hell entangled me. The snares of death confronted me. I looked them square in the face. In my distress, I called upon the Lord. So you see that yearning prayer to be released from every form of human weakness and need caused by our sin. And then it expresses how the repentant Christian, more than anything else, loves the Lord and finds his strength and salvation in the Lord. I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer. You save a humble people. So the intro is such a prayer of the yearning of the Christian for the salvation that is found in the grace of the Lord. The intro is also a prayer that admonishes the self-righteous who trust in any way in themselves, where it says here, but the haughty eyes you bring down. So in the gospel for the day, the haughty will complain that the landowner, the master, is unjust and doing them wrong because they believe they deserve more for who they are or what they have done. And so the intro for the day is there also admonishing such self-righteousness, to turn from reliance upon self to reliance upon the Lord's grace. You mentioned the tract, the introduction of a tract in the Jesima Sundays, and the one for this coming Sunday is Psalm 130, the first four verses. Psalm 130 is one of the penitential psalms, and it is also one of the psalms of ascent, which was prayed like an introit that we have today in the Old Testament time, the day of the evening sacrifice, the time of the evening sacrifice, it was prayed as the priest would enter into the temple and go before the altar of incense and then lead the congregation in a confession of sins. And then he would come out and speak the Lord's forgiving word in the Aaronic benediction. This is what they were waiting and longing for. This is what they were anticipating. So the tract reads like this, the first four verses of that psalm. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, that you may be feared. So you remember the tract is that which anticipates the gospel for the day. So if we really believe these words that we are in the depths of woe because of our sin, and we're crying out on the basis of the Lord's mercy alone because if he kept a record of sins, not one of us could stand, but there is forgiveness with him that he may be feared and worshiped and adored more than anything else. If we believe that, then we're in the right posture to hear the parable of the workers in the vineyard and to explore and meditate upon the mysteries of God's divine grace. So 
our Lord willed, you think about the first of the 95 theses, you know, when our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said repent, he willed that the entire life of the Christian be one of repentance. And certainly this Psalm 130 used as the track captures that, that you may be feared. There is forgiveness with you that you may be feared. The life of true worship, the life of reverence for God, the life of the humility of repentant faith is a life that is engendered by Christ's forgiveness, that is unworthy, that is undeserved. And yet it is what more than anything else he wishes to give to us. So we're sinners. Our confidence rests solely in the forgiveness of sins. With you, there is forgiveness. So the full-blown acknowledgement of the reality of my sin is that which prepares me to hear the parable of the workers in the vineyard. And what appears to be unjust treatment as they complain about how they're treated. In other words, according to Psalm 130, none of us deserve anything from the landowner, yet he freely gives. With you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. So it may appear unjust to human reason, to the sinful flesh, to the old Adam, to the world around us. But for us, the grace of God in Christ that gives us the gift of salvation freely and without partiality, no matter who we are, no matter when we've entered the faith, is the balm of comfort that soothes the soul and gives us ourselves great joy. Pastor Peter Bender is our guest. We're looking forward to Sunday morning. According to the one-year lectionary, we'll be in that gospel reading in Matthew 20 and the laborers in the vineyard next. Several issues, etc. regular guests are candidates for leadership positions in the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Every LCMS congregation has received nomination forms for the president and vice presidents of Synod. Please encourage your pastor and congregational leaders to fill out and return these nomination forms before February 28th of 2023. Learn more at issuesetc.org slash 2023 nominations. IssuesETC.org slash 2023 nominations. This fall in creation is bested by tornado, hurricane, flood, pandemic, and more. LCMS Disaster Response helps our congregations, their pastors, and other church workers to reach out to their members and neighbors with mercy, which flows from Christ's altar. We offer quality volunteer training, help for congregational readiness and response, and disaster grant funding. To learn more, visit lcms.org slash disaster. That's lcms.org slash disaster. For sinners only. You're listening to Issues Etc. You wish your classical school could do more for struggling learners? Uncertain where to begin? The Memoria Press Schools Division includes Cheryl Swope, author of Simply Classical, a beautiful education for any child. The school's division will happily assist your school. Memoria Press offers an entire line of special needs resources for teaching math, reading, spelling, and more. Contact schools at memoriapress.com or order directly from simplyclassical.com with coupon code LPR23. Welcome back. I'm Todd Wilkin. This is Issues Etc. Pastor Peter Bender is our guest as we're looking forward to Sunday morning according to the one-year lectionary. 
So, Peter, we come to the gospel reading, Matthew 20, verses 1 through 16. Read it for us, please. For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers in his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to them he said, You go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right I will give you. So they went. Going out about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the eleventh hour he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, Why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, Because no one has hired us. He said to them, You go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more. But each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us, who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first, and the first last. This is the Gospel of the Lord. So, Todd, I think a word needs to be said at the outset about the kingdom parables. You know what they are because the evangelists begin, the kingdom of God is like, or the kingdom of heaven is like. The kingdom parables uncover the mysteries of God's grace and how God's working is radically different from how man works, how man thinks, how man reasons. So, by uncover the mysteries, it doesn't mean that it makes them immediately plain and clear. They're not illustrations that make things necessarily easier to understand, but they are rather ways in which the mysteries of God's grace in the gospel of Christ are shown to us and giving us opportunity to meditate upon these things. So in this sense, the kingdom parables often throw curveballs to us, to our human reason. In the parable, every worker receives the same wage. That's counterintuitive. That's certainly not fair in our society today. Immediately, there is the charge, this is unfair. And so that gives us an opportunity to say, what is going on here? What does he wish to illustrate here? And I say parables are primarily for Christians. In fact, Jesus himself will allude to the fact that the parables shroud the mysteries of the faith, those things that are paradoxes, so that those who do not believe, they can hear the parable, they can understand the basic plot of the parable, and yet the meaning is hidden from them. So parables are primarily for Christians. They allow us the opportunity to meditate upon the gospel of Christ, upon how he works, 
upon the nature of faith, upon how our Lord works that is so radically different from how sinful man works and how reason, subject to sin and its frailty, understands things. In this parable, the basic message is that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone. It is not by works. But the sinful flesh will always worship itself and its own definition of goodness and its goodness and what it believes it should be rewarded for. You know, don't you realize who I am? Don't you realize what I have done, what I have given, what I have accomplished, how long I've been in the church, what I've contributed to the kingdom of God? So that should bring us to some kind of definitions of terms here. The vineyard is the kingdom of God, the kingdom of faith, the church. And there's a paradox here. We talk about salvation by grace and not by works. And yet to illustrate that, the kingdom parable here is about working in a vineyard. So work is first the call to believe, the call of the gospel to repentance and faith in Christ. But then it also represents the activities that flow from faith and that nurture faith in the kingdom of God and that show forth that faith. Our faith is in Christ alone, but works serve our neighbor and supply the proof that faith is living according to the hymn of the day. Yet such activities do not save us. You know, so faith active in love, the love that flows from faith, those activities of love, those good works, they do not save us, but rather are a confession of our faith in Christ and they're proof of our faith in him. A denarius, it's a day's wage in Bible times. And that in this parable, all are paid the same wage, a day's wage, a denarius, regardless of when they began to work or when they were called to faith or when they entered into the church or what manner and how long their service was, dramatically underscores that salvation is by grace and not by works. So it's just a very fascinating parable that allows us to think directly about the issue of works with respect to our salvation. And they are clearly rewarded or paid, if you will, to use the, the kind of plot of the parable, not on the basis of their work or how long they serve, but whether or not they're in the vineyard at all, and whether or not they have heard the call of the master to faith. And so it's a great way to highlight salvation by grace and not by works because it throws works out there and then it is so confounding to human reason. So there may be indeed, as we labor in the vineyard, as we live the life of faith in Christ within the church for a decade or two decades or 80 years, there may be scorching heat and there may be the burdens of the day and some of us serve on the mission field and some of us are in times of persecution and great suffering. We experience all these things, yet not a one of them make us more worthy of Christ's salvation than the sinner who may be converted and brought into the vineyard on his deathbed. So the denarius signifies very simply the gift of salvation. And I want to make a comment about the translation of the ESV. It uses the word generosity, and it's not that the word is incorrect, but the word in the Greek is goodness, the goodness, referring to the goodness of God. So the generosity or the goodness of God 
is judged on the basis of his forgiving grace for the unworthy. That's what defines God's goodness. He is good because he forgives. You remember the track for the day from Psalm 130, you know, with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. This right belongs to God. This right to be good by forgiving sin, by giving away the gift of salvation on the merits of his son, this right belongs to God for who he is according to his nature and for what he has done for us according to his nature in Christ. So you're going to begrudge my goodness. I have a right to forgive sin. I have a right to distribute my salvation. I have a right to declare the sinner righteous. I have a right to say to that malefactor on the cross in his 11th hour, today you will be with me in paradise. I have that right because I am good. Now at the end of the parable, you know, the use of the word friend displays the disposition of our Lord also for the haughty, for the self-righteous, even to those who still do not get it and who are imbued with self-righteousness of the sinful flesh. For us who may be tempted and fall back and stumble back into that way of thinking, he's there calling us friend, desiring to call us back to his grace. So as I said, this Sunday is for those who feel that they are worthless, but it is also for the Christian who is struggling with his own haughtiness to call him to repentance, to admonish him. At the end of the parable, Jesus says, the last will be first. I love that line. Those whom self-righteous reason deems to be the last in terms of standing before God or standing in the church, that is to say the most unworthy and the most undeserving, are in the kingdom of God first. First in the kingdom of God for salvation, because salvation is based upon the goodness of the Lord's generosity, his grace. So again, you think of the thief on the cross. You think of a little child who is baptized and then dies soon after before accomplishing anything in this life, before being able to contribute anything to the kingdom of God. You think of a blind beggar who is totally dependent. You think of a cripple who cannot walk. You think of the outcast of society. And the list can go on and on. The last, according to human reason and human standing, will be first in God's kingdom. And the so-called first, well, they will be the last. Pastor Peter Bender is our guest. We're looking forward to Sunday morning. According to the one-year lectionary, the Old Testament reading from Exodus chapter 17 is next. Abide with me, crown him with many crowns, hark the herald angels sing. Have you ever wondered why our beloved hymns were written? The Issues Etc. Book of the Month for February is Eternal Anthems, the story behind your favorite hymns, Volume 2. Learn more at issuesetc.org or by calling Concordia Publishing House 1-800-325-3040. This new resource includes background on 50 hymns, Eternal Anthems, the story behind your favorite hymns, Volume 2. Christological, Creedal, Confessional. You're listening to Issues Etc. Not everyone is comfortable with new technology. 
Dial A Podcast gives all generations of your congregation an easy way to hear your sermons or even devotionals and Bible studies. Once you've completed a simple one-time setup, we take care of the rest. All your congregants have to do is dial the number from any phone to listen to your latest podcast, all at no additional cost to them. Dial A Podcast. Extend the reach of your sermons. Get started at dialapodcast.com now. Welcome back. I'm Todd Wilkin. This is Issues Etc. Pastor Peter Bender, director of the Concordia Catechetical Academy, is our guest. We're looking forward to Sunday morning according to the one-year lectionary. The Old Testament reading is next. It's Exodus 17, verses 1 through 7. All the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages, according to the commandment of the Lord, and camped at Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water. And the people grumbled against Moses and said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried to the Lord, What shall I do with this people? They're almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, Pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the name of the place Massah, testing, and Meribah, quarreling, because of the quarreling of the people of Israel, and because they tested the Lord by saying, Is the Lord among us or not? This is the word of the Lord. Now, I think it's really important always to see the connection in the Old Testament reading with the gospel for the day. So those that grumbled at the master for the denarius that was paid, even to those who were hired at the 11th hour, is here typified in the children of Israel who murmur and grumble and complain against Moses and who put God to the test. So they put God to the test. What does that mean? He had redeemed them from slavery in Egypt, from that bitter and cruel bondage there. They accused him of not loving them, of not caring for them, of not giving to them according to what they believed they deserved. So they put God to the test. Now, I think something that needs to be accented about the exodus out of Egypt and the Lord's redemption, when they were in Egypt, they ate good food. They talk about this. Then they're redeemed and they're out there in the wilderness. There's hunger, there's thirst. And it underscores that when one becomes a Christian, it doesn't necessarily mean that life is easier. We're redeemed from sin, death, and the power of the devil, which is what the redemption from slavery in Egypt typifies. But there is hardship to the walk of faith for us. It is often not easy, and we are tempted 
to return to the former life of indulging the appetites of the flesh, like the children of Israel who wanted to return to Egypt. This is a return to Egypt, that is to say a return to bondage. But God's grace is sufficient for us. His strength is made perfect in our weakness. Throughout their wilderness wandering, the children of Israel were to learn the reality of their own sin and their own weakness and their own need for the Lord's redemption and for the ongoing reliance upon his grace. That surely is also part of the parable of the workers in the vineyard, where we are taught to rely upon that which Christ gives. The goodness of God in the midst of all of the ugly accusations that the children of Israel hurled against him is that he provided for them. He provided water for them through the striking of the rock. And this striking of the rock by Moses at the Lord's word in the Old Testament points us to the goodness of God in Christ, who is the rock of our salvation, referred to in the intro for this day, who was struck upon the altar of the cross and out of whose body flowed the blood and the water of salvation. So the Lord is my rock and my salvation. And we come to him as needy children, having been delivered from the bondage of sin and yet still in need of him. And so as he bore with them and their grumbling and their complaining, so he bears with us. And the goodness of God calls out to us. And this authority of God's grace and goodness is seen in what he does for the rebellious and for those who put him to the test. I think we can't emphasize enough the long-suffering patience of the Lord in the Old Testament. Surely it was out of his goodness, according to the promise that he made to the patriarchs, that he redeemed Israel. It is certainly not in the slightest sense on the basis of their accomplishments, their worthiness, the fact that they were descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that they were of the right bloodline, that they had, once they left Mount Sinai, that they had the law, that they had the tabernacle worship, that they had the prophets, that they had all of these things, as if they could boast in these things that were somehow or other of their own doing. They weren't. Everything that they had, they received from God as a gift. Everything just like the denarius they are given to the workers in the vineyard. And yet they, like us, are so often apt to grumble and complain as if God is not treating us fairly. That's what needs to be admonished and what we need to be called to repentance for during this Sunday. Where does the gradual come from? The gradual comes from Psalm 9, 9 through 10, and then 18 through the first part of verse 19. Here again, you see this idea of fortress and the rock of our salvation, which is found in Christ. And it reads, the Lord is a stronghold for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. And those who know your name put their trust in you. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. For the needy shall not always be forgotten, and the hope of the poor shall not perish forever. Arise, O Lord, let not man prevail. Yeah, the world may forget the needy, the poor, the downtrodden, the outcast, but the Lord will not. The Lord is a stronghold for the oppressed. So 
Here I go back to the beginning of our conversation. If you feel worthless, if you're troubled by your sin, you feel a sense of your unworthiness, this Sunday is for you. So between the example of the haughtiness and rebellion of the children of Israel in the Old Testament reading, there is this gradual this gradual that takes us from the Old Testament into the epistle for the day, and it highlights that the Lord, and here the name Yahweh, the great I am, he is the Lord, the stronghold for the oppressed. He is the one that does not forsake those who are so needy and troubled and poor of spirit, but he upholds and saves and forgives them. So the gradual leads us from this rebellion of the children of Israel and self-righteousness and pride from the Old Testament to the warning and catechesis for us in the epistle, which mentions the Old Testament account of their grumbling, and therefore it anticipates the Holy Gospel for the day in the begrudging attitude of those who resented the goodness of the landowner in his generosity. Pastor Peter Bender is our guest as we look forward to Sunday morning. He mentioned the epistle reading in 1 Corinthians 9. We'll get there next. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Things Above, that's the theme for this year's hymn sing at the Issues Etc. Making the Case Conference. The bridegroom soon will call us. Jerusalem the Golden, Wake Awake for Night is Flying, and a whole bunch more. You don't want to miss it. Making the Case is Friday, June 16th, and Saturday, June 17th at Concordia University, Chicago. Learn more at issuesetc.org. What is mental health? The February issue of The Lutheran Witness takes up this question of mental health with contributions from the LCMS Task Force on Mental Health, which is tasked with providing resources for Lutheran church workers to better care for their own mental health and those entrusted to their care. To pick up your copy, visit cph.org witness or visit our website witness.lcms.org to learn more. The Lutheran Witness, helping you interpret the world from a Lutheran perspective. Did you know that Luther Academy has been providing continuing education for confessional Lutheran pastors and laypeople worldwide for more than 20 years? Luther Academy publishes Logia, the Confessional Lutheran Dogmatic Series, and Luther Digest. Find out more about Luther Academy and sign up to receive their free email newsletter at lutheracademy.com. lutheracademy.com and like them on Facebook. facebook.com slash lutheracademy. Metro East Lutheran High School in Edwardsville, Illinois, is looking for an English teacher with a master's degree for the 2023-24 school year. Edwardsville is 30 minutes from downtown St. Louis. The position would involve teaching upper-level, dual-credit English classes. For more information, send an email to Principal Jay Krause, J-A-Y-K-R-A-U-S-E, at M-E-L-H-S dot org, jkrause at M-E-L-H-S dot org. A mobile Lutheran Bible study. You're listening to Issues Etc. At Concordia Evangelical Lutheran Church of Wilmington, Delaware, our mission is to serve our community by sharing Christian hope. We've been doing this since 1938 and joyfully continue to do so in the 21st century. If you're ever in the city that DuPont Chemical Corporation calls home or is known by some as the credit card capital of the world, we hope you visit to receive Jesus through his word and sacrament. 
Otherwise, check us out on the web at concordiawilmington.com. Oh, Lord, open my lips. Listen to chapel services live weekday mornings from Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Morning Chapel from Kramer Chapel. Live weekday mornings at 9 Central, 10 Eastern, 8 Mountain, and 7 Pacific at issuesetc.org. The Issues Etc. Book of the Month for February is Eternal Anthems, the story behind your favorite hymns, Volume 2. If you remember Volume 1, it included pretty much similar content, 50 hymns. There are 37 contributing authors and the full printed text of each hymn under examination. It's a great resource if you love the church's hymnody, but want to know a little bit more about where that hymn came from and what you might learn from it. Eternal Anthems, the story behind your favorite hymns, Volume 2 is at our website, issuesetc.org, or call Concordia Publishing House, 1-800-325-3040, 1-800-325-3040. We're looking forward to Sunday morning, according to the one-year lectionary, Pastor Peter Bender, Pastor of Peace Lutheran Church in Sussex, Wisconsin, and Director of the Concordia Catechetical Academy, is our guest. Peter, we come to the epistle that you were talking about before the break, 1 Corinthians 9, beginning at verse 24. Do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others I myself should be disqualified. For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud, and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, one cannot help but see the absolute connection with the Old Testament reading. Moses struck the rock, and out of the rock came water that quenched their thirst. Jesus is the rock of our salvation. He was struck upon the altar of the cross, and blood and water flowed forth out of his side, and we are grafted into Christ in the waters of holy baptism. He is the water of life. He gives the water of life, and he is the source of our salvation. He was with them in the Old Testament. You look at the connection there. All of us were baptized into Jesus. All of us have heard the word. All of us have gathered regularly for the divine service. All of us have eaten and drunk of the spiritual food of the Lord's Supper, and yet we should take the warning from the Old Testament, with most of them God was not well pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness, how? By their own impenitence, self-righteousness, and pride. So this epistle is spoken against the works righteous impenitent arrogance of the children of Israel and serves as a warning against 
the same nature that is central to our old Adam and that can threaten us within the church. So as the Old Testament church and her members were threatened by that same self-righteousness, we can be too. The first part of this epistle, here the image of workers in the vineyard from the gospel is replaced by the idea of runners in a race. And only one receives the prize. And that means that only the faith that is exclusively upon the grace of God in Jesus wins the race and receives the prize. So here, just like the, the denarius is a payment made for work, here this prize is for having won the race. But here, like in the parable of the workers in the vineyards, the prize is the gift of salvation, as the denarius is the gift of salvation. So it again uses that idea of working and struggle and strain but the work and the struggle of strain is the work and the struggle of strain of faith that lays hold of Christ against everything that opposes faith in Christ and reliance upon his grace. When it uses the discipline of the body, the discipline of the body are the ways in which the Christian disciplines his entire life to be geared and focused upon reliance upon God's grace. Anything that interferes with reliance upon God's grace must go. And I check this out. The translation here, which gives this English body, is the Greek word soma. It's not the Greek word sarx, which is often translated flesh and especially highlights the sinful nature. It is body because the entire life of the Christian is to be so ordered that we are hearing, receiving, and relying upon God's grace. You had quoted a little bit of the hymn of the day, Salvation Unto Us Has Come at the beginning, but what are your final thoughts on that great hymn? Well, that, that great hymn, Salvation Unto Us Has Come, lays out the entire plan of salvation. And I think in this stanza, faith looks to Jesus Christ alone, who did for all the world atone. He is our one Redeemer. That's certainly a focus of this Sunday. And when it says in the hymn, works serve our neighbor and supply the proof that faith is living, there's an accent here, but in no way do we rely upon those works. So the hymn ends with the great doxological stanza, for all that God in Christ, God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit has done for us. And when the Christian in his or her life gives all glory to God, and accepts and takes or demands no glory for him or herself, then the balance is actually quite correct. And this great hymn, Salvation Unto Us, has come as a great catechesis on salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, on the basis of Scripture alone, which really encapsulates the entire three Sundays of this pre-Lenten Jesima season. How would you summarize this coming Sunday in terms of law and gospel? Our malady to which the law must be addressed, I would say three things. Number one, every form of self-righteousness, whereby we might be tempted to believe that we merit in some way, shape, manner, or form God's gift of salvation, has got to be put to death. And here I would say the pastor needs to know his sheep. I mean, 
Every sheep of the good shepherd, every member of the congregation is afflicted in different ways. And sometimes there's characteristics depending upon the congregation, the life of the congregation. What are those sins of self-righteousness? How are they manifesting itself in the congregation? Who are being despised? Who are being resented for them being allowed to receive the full fellowship and communion of the church. You know, So the pastor needs to know his sheep and address every form of self-righteousness and to call the sheep to repentance for it. Number two, that there is merit in the act of believing. That's got to be addressed. Or the period of time that one has been a Christian or been active in the church. Any notion of merit there has got to go and has got to be brought into the light of day as sin, and as that which really not only threatens to undermine the comfort of the gospel, but cause us to despise others within the church. Number three, that we don't celebrate the conversion of the lowliest and most unworthy of sinners. What a sad thing if that happens. We need to celebrate the conversion of the thief on the cross, of someone who at the end of his life with nothing to offer the church comes to believe in the Lord Jesus. And here we might think of the joy in heaven over one sinner who repents, uh, spoken of in Luke's gospel, chapter 15. So that needs to be addressed here. And the unique gospel for the day, I would highlight four things that are all related Number one, God's goodness is based entirely upon his acts of salvation for us in Christ and his forgiving grace. That is at the heart of God's goodness. And what we long to celebrate and meditate upon as Christians every Sunday, every day of our lives, to find our joy and comfort in what Jesus has done. Number two, that Jesus in love delights in giving you the gift of salvation on the basis of his working is his greatest joy. Think of it. He simply wants you to receive it. And as he rejoices in giving it, that you rejoice in receiving it. Number three, that he continually calls the haughty his friends is of great encouragement, calling them to turn from every form of self-reliance to faith in his grace. In other words, he doesn't quickly cast us aside. And one need only think about the Old Testament children of Israel and how generation after generation he bore with them, sending them prophets to call them to repentance and faith so that he continually does that. And he calls us his friends that we might turn from our self-righteousness to him is of great comfort. And finally, number four, we learn the goodness of his grace as he sustains, comforts, forgives, and upholds us through the struggles of our earthly pilgrimage. It's those struggles that become the workshop of his grace and of the Holy Spirit to bring the comfort of Christ to us so that on this Septuagesima Sunday and every day of our lives, we find our comfort in his grace alone, which is sufficient for us and made perfect in our own weaknesses. 
Pastor Peter Bender is pastor of Peace Lutheran Church in Sussex, Wisconsin, and director of the Concordia Catechetical Academy. Peter, thanks. Thanks, Todd, so much. Thursday on Issues Etc., we'll get a review of the movie Pinocchio with Pastor Ted Geese. We'll discuss pastoral sabbaticals with Pastor David Peterson, and we'll respond to your email, talkback at issuesetc.org, and the Issues Etc. comment line 618-223-8382. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for listening. Listen weekday afternoons to Pastor Todd Wilkin and guests on Issues Etc., Issues Etc. is a listener-supported program. Your financial support is vital for the continuation and expansion of this worldwide outreach. Our mailing address, Issues Etc., P.O. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. You can also donate at our website, issuesetc.org. Issues Etc. is a production of LPR, Lutheran Public Radio. Hi, this is Pastor Clayton from Zion Lutheran Church of Mascuda, Illinois, a proud supporter of Issues Etc. Zion is a congregation firmly grounded in God's grace given in the Word and Sacraments where we treasure the timeless beauty of the liturgy. Zion is also a vibrant, young, family-friendly congregation where you would be warmly welcomed. Zion is located at 101 South Railway Street in Mascuda, Illinois, and we would love to share God's gifts of grace with you. For more information, please visit our website at zionmascuda.com. Metro East Lutheran High School in Edwardsville, Illinois, invites you to an open house from 1 to 3, Sunday afternoon, February 5th. Take a tour, visit with faculty and administration, and find out more about financial assistance and scholarships. For more information, visit the Facebook page for Metro East Lutheran High School or call 618-656-0043. Open house at Metro East Lutheran High School, Edwardsville, Illinois, Sunday afternoon, February 5th.